In the name of God, the creator, liberator, and sustainer of the universe. Amen. When Christer Stendhal was the dean of the Harvard Divinity School, he wrote what was called the Ten Commandments for Preachers. Commandment number nine said, you shall never use the word love in a sermon unless it's in the text. Dean Stendhal knew that many preachers in Christian churches had a tendency to trivialize love. Those of you who read Sinclair Lewis's novel, Elmer Gantry, will remember that that great evangelical scandal, Elmer Gantry, favorite line was, love is like a red, red rose. And whenever he got into a difficult point in a sermon, he would always say, love is like a red, red rose. Okay. Well, in our gospel today, the word love is used five times. The past tense, love, is used three times. And in our epistle reading from 1 St. John, the, word, the verb love is used five times also. So since there are 13 references to the word love, I think I am not ninth commandment if I use the word love in this sermon today, which I plan to. In the liturgical calendar, today is the sixth Sunday of Easter. And on this Sunday, we are brought to the very heart of the Christian tradition, speaking theologically. We are brought to the very center of what it means to be a Christian. And that is to abide in God's love, to abide in God's love. We hear of a love that has chosen us. We hear of a love that calls us to be loved. The great Nicaraguan poet Ernesto Cardinal was very fond of saying that for the Christian to live is to love. To live is to love. It is also very clear from just a casual glance at the 15 chapters of John's Gospel that love in the Gospels, and particularly in John's Gospel, is not so much a sentimental feeling. As a matter of fact, it's not that at all. It is, in fact, an action. It is something that you do, it is something that you become. You abide in God's love. You become love. Jesus said, abide in my love. And then he goes on to say, and what this means is that you keep my commandments. And then he says, and the commandment is this, that you love each other as I have loved you that you love each other as I have loved you. And then Jesus goes on to say, when you do this, when you abide in my love, when you love each other as I have loved you, then you are my friends. Then I am no longer 
to be called your master. I am to be called your friend. <coughs> Jesus rejects the master label, says, I am your friend. Christian ethics is an ethic of love. It is a love that calls us to action. It is a love that calls us to what Jesus also refers to in our gospel reading as the greatest form of love, which is sacrificial love. And sacrificial love not only refers to giving your life in the way that a martyr might give his or her life for, for the faith, but it calls us to reflect in every category of our lives how we use what we've been given. How do we use our time? How do we use our resources? How, how do we use our talents? Do we live sacrificially? And do we live seeking to create a community of friends? Now, one of the implications of a community of friends is that there is no undue hierarchy. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to love, then you are always in the process of making sure that your community is a community of equality and justice and love. That's what a community of friends looks like. I've often thought that the Quakers had it absolutely right when they named their organization the Friends. Because they are friends of Jesus and friends of each other. And friends of each other do not lord it over each other. They have respect for each other. We are called as followers of Jesus to love each other, to love all of creation, and to love our, our larger community as Jesus has loved us. That is the essence of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. In the secular calendar, as you all know, today in the United States, in Italy, in Australia, in Belgium, in Finland, Denmark, and Turkey, is Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is also a day in which there has been trivialization, we might say. It's also been a day in which there has been sometimes a little too much sentimentality, shall we say. Now, all of us are not called to be mothers, but all of us have mothers. So far, that's the only way we get here. <laughs> but this day is not just for mothers. The church has often abused this day, I think, I remember a woman once telling me, fortunately it was in the Episcopal Church, she was talking about the parish she was in. And on Mother's Day, she said, the priest said, now we want to honor mothers. Would all of you who have had one child stand up? So I said, down. All of you who have had between two and five stand up. Okay. And then said, all of you who have had between five and ten stand up. Anyone over 10? 
this one woman stood up and said, oh, you're the mother of the year. <laughs> Come up and receive flowers. The woman who's telling me the story said she got up and walked out of the church and never went back. <laughs> and she was right. Some of us know that, or perhaps you don't, that Mother, Mother's Day was proclaimed officially by President Woodrow Wilson in 1914. But the origin of Mother's Day is deeper. In 1870, Julia Ward Howe, Julia Ward Howe was an abolitionist, a poet, and she is best known for writing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Julia Ward Howe wrote what she called was a Mother's Day Proclamation. Mother's Day Proclamation, in which she called on all mothers in the U.S. and all mothers internationally to come together to proclaim this Mother's Day, which would be a day given to the eradication totally of all war. The eradication totally of all war. Now, her Mother's Day proclamation, which I encourage you all to read, you can go online, just type in Julia Ward Howe Mother's Day Proclamation. She called on many actions, my mothers. She said, if your husband is a soldier and he comes home and he wants to embrace you, don't embrace him. <laughs> you do not want the blood of someone else's son wrapped around your body. She also laid out many other demands that she urged mothers to engage in. Well, obviously by the time that the male hierarchy got hold of this and Woodrow Wilson signed it, it had been reduced to cards, roses, and candy, and bed and breakfast, okay? We could handle that a little easier than we could to towards how Mother's Day. We had visions of another kind. Now those things are good and they're, they're not bad. Roses are fine, okay? But it is a way of trivializing, way of trivializing what Julia Ward Howe had in the beginning. And what she had in the beginning was also a prime example, I believe, of what it means to abide in the love of Christ. What it means to create a world in which we are friends what it means to be living in a world and when we are all striving to become each other's friend, not each other's enemy. To live in a world in which we are in the process of reducing hate, not trying to create as much as we can. I also believe that even though finally you cannot really trivialize Christian love, I believe that in the world in which we live, you cannot finally trivialize that spirit that Julia Ward Howe sought to tap as she viewed the mothers of the world. A few years ago, I was traveling with Treadwell, my wife, in Argentina. And when I arrived, I, I, it became very clear to me that the first place I wanted to go in Buenos Aires was to the 
was to the plaza of the mothers, the mothers of the disappeared. In the 1980s, Argentina was ruled by a brutal dictatorship. They very often would take people who opposed them up in a helicopter, fly out to sea, and just drop them out of the helicopter. It was very risky to oppose this military dictatorship, but every day, every day in this main plaza in Buenos Aires, these mothers would gather, these mothers of the disappeared. The, the, the word disappeared became almost a technical word in Latin America, referring to those sons and husbands who'd been taken and were no longer seen. These mothers were out there every day. We want to know where our disappeared sons and husbands are. They were confronting this brutal military dictatorship because of their love because of their love. I remember during the struggle against apartheid, Trudwell and I adopted a child, a black child. And in the state of Indiana, that had never been done before. And it was quite controversial. There were a lot of legal issues that we had to face, a judge who didn't want to grant the adoption, many, many things. But my parents were living at that time in Kingsport, Tennessee, and this story was picked up by the local newspaper. And it was, again, a very controversial issue in this small Tennessee city. During this time, my mother, who was not what you would call a social activist, was asked by the NAACP if she would help them address an issue. And the issue was what was then called open housing. In those days, there were many sections of cities in which realtors would not sell homes to black people. 
banks would not make loans to black people in certain areas. So the NAACP, which again, in this time in this small city in Tennessee, was considered by most white people to be a communist organization, that was a very small organization. They decided to take on this issue to have a march for open housing. They had seen this article that had been written about my mother and our adoption. So the president went to her and asked her if she'd be willing to lead the open housing march. And they wanted to have a banner that said, white grandmother of black child leads march for open housing. And that's what went in the newspaper. Okay. So my mother was cast into a role she had never been in before. Some people in her parish were furious. Okay? Not the priests, but many, many other people said, we don't want this controversy affecting us, or we don't want this black child to come to our church. Okay? But she marched, and they won. She marched, and they won. God acts. God acts through the power of mothers, to the power of women, in ways that we often do not perceive, in ways that we often ignore. And in whatever community we live, we must be sure that we are engaged in the empowerment of women and mothers so that we can create forever the mothers of the plaza the welfare mothers, the other mother for peace. The day, as I said, is the sixth Sunday of Easter. It's also Mother's Day. And it is a day, I believe, that calls us to look at how well we are doing in terms of empowering women to be those welfare mothers who organize, those South African mothers who stand outside the jail. How are we doing? How are we doing as a community of friends of Jesus, of each other? How are we doing as an institutional church as we face these issues in our society? It can be argued that in, in the last 20, 30 years, we have made remarkable progress. The ordination of women, other issues that we can point to. But it is also true, I believe, that in terms of our own theological images and our own theological language and the way that we read and study the Bible, we are a major part of the problem in our society. You know, we have so overused the metaphor of God as Father that it has been literalized. If you ask most people what is their verbal, their visual image of God, it's a white male who has a long beard. Okay? That's the way you think of God. If you always speak of God as Father, then you begin to identify males with God, which means that females are subhuman. We have often talked about the Holy Trinity as if it were a fraternity of males. It is not. It is a loving communion of love that is shared universally, not a group of males. 
We have also refused to look at the Bible through non-sexist eyes. For example, in, in Deuteronomy 32, Moses addressed the people and said, you forgot the God who gave birth to you. How often have you heard any preacher talk about the God who gives birth to you? Now we do hear in one of the hymns we use that God is mother. But you almost never hear that unless you read Julian of Norwich. We also read in Isaiah 42 that God cries out like a woman in labor. We see, we see in, in, in the book of Hosea, in the 13th chapter, that God is referred to as a, a mother bear who falls upon those who seek to rob her cubs. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus, looking out of Jerusalem, weeping, says, how often would I have taken you under my wings like a mother hand cares for her chicks. In the Hebrew language, the, wor the, the word for a mother's womb is Rehem, R-E-H-E-M. That is the same, that Rehem comes from the same root as the Hebrew word from, for compassion. It's why in the 31st chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, using that word, can refer to God's womb love. God's compassionate love is womb love. We, I think, as a community, need to pay very close attention to the language we use. We need to pay very close attention to whether we are over-literalizing so many masculine words that we use in our liturgy. And I think that today we are called, as we reflect upon the mothers of Argentina, the mothers of South Africa, the mothers who have brought us all here, to realize that although we are not all called to be mothers, we are all called, we are all called to have that spirit which biological mothers have when they give birth, produce kids, when adoptive mothers have when they choose to nurture and be loving and caring people in the world in which we live. We need to pay very close to attention to our own need to incorporate that reality into our reality so that it becomes present all the time and we become that community that community, which does not send women a message that they are inferior to a God who is a mighty man, but allows them to know that God is male, female, loving community. God, as you know, is not a boy or a girl. Those are all metaphors we use to refer to God, but God includes God includes that which we call masculine, feminine. God includes that loving, caring spirit. And our task is to make sure that we are always in the process of creating that liberating community which empowers all women, including mothers, to be the liberating, caring people that God intended them to be so that they can all lead open housing marches. And that, I think, 
is what Julia Ward Howe envisioned and intended. And I believe that that is a large part of what Jesus meant when he said, abide in my love. And when you do that, you're my friends. Let us pray that we all may be friends with Jesus. Let there be peace among us. And let us never be instruments of our own or anyone else's oppression. Amen.